Let's pray again as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you have spoken to us in your word, the Bible. And we pray, please, for ourselves as we look at it now. We pray that you would uh, humble us before your word. We pray that you would give us ears to listen and soften our hearts that we might receive what you say and build us up and strengthen us to live for the Lord Jesus, we pray by it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're looking for a good um, Christmas present, I wonder if I can recommend this book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Maybe you've come across it before. Um, Full of amazing stories of courage from believers down through the ages who have ultimately uh, died for the Lord Jesus Christ and for uh, uh, professing faith in him. I wanted just to read to you one one paragraph, um, in truth, you'd hardly, you'd, you'd skip over it um, because it's not a major story in the book, and yet it is an astonishing story. It's of John Tewkesbury um, in the 1500s. Fox describes him as a, a plain, simple man who was guilty of no other offense than that of reading Tyndale's translation of the New Testament. The New Testament in English in his church. Um, He was tried, he was imprisoned. And Fox writes, "He, He suffered greatly during the time of his imprisonment, so that when they brought him out to execution, he was almost dead already. He was conducted to the stake in Smithfield, that's now the meat market in the center of London. Where he, was, where he was burned. Just one story of many stories of amazing, amazing courage in the face of opposition. We saw courage like it last week too, uh, with Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, uh, the very council that just a few months earlier had sentenced the Lord Jesus to death. And Peter was amazingly courageous at calling out the Sanhedrin on their hypocrisy and letting them know in no uncertain terms that he would not be uh, obeying their command to stop speaking of Jesus. And so the question comes uh, to us, well, how do we grow in courage like that? How can we come to share the good news about Jesus in the face of opposition? How can we overcome our natural timidity Um, our natural tendency to keep our heads down and our mouths shut. What is the secret to gospel courage? Well, I think that is the question that our passage here today answers. On their release from their night in prison, Peter and John go back to the rest of the church. And I can imagine for the believers, no doubt, it was a huge relief to see them back safe and sound again. And so after hugs all round, I'm sure, uh, Peter and John report back to the believers on what happened. Uh, Listen, they said, uh, the Sanhedrin told us you must stop speaking about Jesus to anyone. And if you don't stop speaking about him, there are going to be serious consequences. Peter says to them, look, I I told them that I would not be obeying their order, that we are going to keep on speaking about Jesus, but that is is where we're at. That is the state of affairs. 
as we stand. Now, amazingly, when the, when the church hears this report from Peter and John, they don't panic, and they don't have a great big discussion about whether or not they're going to comply with what the Sanhedrin have said. They don't send out a WhatsApp message to the evangelism group saying, you know, we're going to postpone um, all upcoming activities for the foreseeable future until things calm down. Now, they do the sensible thing, the only sensible thing open to them. They bring this problem before God in prayer. And as we, are, as we listen into their time of prayer, we are going to hear the secret to their gospel courage. What do they do as they pray? Well, let me mention two things. Firstly, they fix their eyes on the sovereign Lord. They fix their eyes on the sovereign Lord. And they recognize before God, firstly, that he is their maker. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. From the heights of heaven to the very depths of the sea, you made it all. The stars and the planets, the oceans, the ice caps, the mountains, the valleys, all plants and animals, all people everywhere, you are their maker. You spoke and all of that came into existence. If you hadn't spoke, they simply would not exist. You made the heavens and the earth and everything in between. Caiaphas and Annas, they did not make heaven and earth. The rest of the Sanhedrin, they did not make heaven and earth. They are not almighty and everlasting God. You are. So that's the first thing that they recognize about the sovereign Lord, that he is their maker. Secondly, they recognize that he is undefeatable. Have a look here at verses 25 and 26. These verses are taken from Psalm 2, and they describe a, a kind of international rebellion against God and against God's king. They say, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And it's quite a terrifying scene. All of the nations of the world, all of the kings of the world and their armies, putting aside their internal differences and different politics, to band together in order to try and topple God and God's king. It's quite an intimidating scene. But when God sees these armies and these kings fronting up to him, what's his initial reaction? Well, we don't actually see it here in Acts chapter 4, but if we go back to Psalm 2, which is where this quote is taken from, we do see it. How does God react? Let me just read straight from Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire, the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. Which is just an astonishing thing. The armies of the earth advance together to try and topple God and God's king, all of them there. And yet when God sees them, he starts to shake with laughter. I borrow this illustration from a friend. He says, picture the scene. You're walking down the street, and uh, you see one of those great, big, massive dogs. Like one of those great, you might even call them the horse dog. I don't know what they're called. Irish wolfhounds are huge, great, big dog. Um, the kind of dog that when it sits down, it's still taller than you. Massive creature. You look at it and think, oh, yeah, I, I could have a go. Put a saddle on it, I could have a go riding that thing. Huge thing. And then you get one of these tiny little mouse dogs come along. You know, the kind of dog that you would almost step on if you, you, because you hardly see it. A yappy little mouse dog. If you've got one of those dogs, I'm sorry. Um, but that's what they're like, aren't they? You could pick them up, pick them up, put them in their pocket. They're that small. And then you see this scene as this um, yappy little mouse dog fronts up to the massive horse dog. And this horse dog doesn't hardly even notices. And then it kind of does and just looks at it with disdain as if to say, if I could be bothered, I would just eat you right now. You know, a scene like that, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's laughable. It's hilarious. It's not a dog fight. It's not something you need to report to the police because it's, it's a serious dog fight here. No, it's something to film and put on YouTube and share with people so that other people can laugh because it's ridiculous. It's laughable. It's a joke. Well, Sam 2 tells us that when God sees the nations and the kings of the earth front up to him, he can't help his initial reaction before he gets angry and puts down the rebellion. His initial reaction is to, is to chuckle, is to laugh, because it's so ridiculous and audacious, because he is undefeatable. He is in a different category of strength and power. So these believers, as they pray, they recognize that God is the maker, that he is utterly undefeatable. And they recognize that he is the one who calls the shots in his world. Uh, the Sanhedrin, I guess at this point, having just crucified Jesus just a number of weeks before, I imagine they felt pretty powerful, as if they really had a grip on things. But what do these believers remember about what happened to Jesus? Well, just look at verse 28. Having described what the Sanhedrin and the rulers of the Gentiles did to Jesus, the believers acknowledge, verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should, ha should happen. In other words, these believers remember that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Sanhedrin and the Roman soldiers, they were all simply actors 
in God's great drama, doing his bidding, fulfilling his rescue mission according to his script. In other words, they remember that God is the one who calls all the shots. Nothing can happen without his say-so, and everything that does happen is according to his say-so and works as part of his great big picture plan to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. God is the one who calls the shots, not them. And so for us, if we're going to grow in courage for Jesus, if we're going to speak of him even when it's frowned on and discouraged, we need to do what these believers do. That is, we need to redirect our gaze away from those who tell us not to speak and towards God, the maker, the one who is undefeatable, the one who calls all the shots, the sovereign Lord. I don't know if you remember the story of the Wizard of Oz. Um, as they get to the end of the yellow brick road, Dorothy and her, fr her friends, they are awestruck as they think about the wizard. And they hear his booming voice, and they see this kind of mirage of his face, and they tremble. Until Dorothy's little dog goes in behind the curtain, and the Wizard of Oz is exposed as just some ordinary bloke operating machinery. And they stop trembling, and they find their voice. When we fix our eyes on the Sovereign Lord and recognize that He is the Maker, that He calls the shots, that He can't help but laugh when He's opposed, it's as if the curtain is pulled back on those who would seek to silence us. And we see that, hold on, they're not God. They're just people. And we stop trembling, and we find our voice again. John Patton had this very experience. He was a Presbyterian missionary uh, to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, the island that's now called Vanuatu. And when he went there, the people were cannibals. Very, very dangerous place. And four years into his missionary work, he and one of his friends found themselves surrounded by a mob of cannibals who were intent on killing them and then eating them, it seemed. Now, in the end, they spared his life. They simply took all of his possessions. But this is what he wrote later about that experience. He said, I realized, in that moment, I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me, as if a voice out of heaven had spoken, that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevailed to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ. And it was that knowledge of, this, of his sovereign Lord and fixing his eyes on his sovereign Lord that kept him sane in that moment and kept him, kept him ministering in that very, very dangerous place for many years to come. 
So do you want to grow in courage for Jesus? Then fix your eyes on the sovereign Lord. Tremble before him, and you'll stop trembling before men. So that's the first thing that these believers do as they pray. They recognize God as the sovereign Lord. Secondly, they ask him for courage. In verse 29, their prayers turn from worship of God to petition, from telling God about God to asking him. What I think is surprising, though, about verse 29 is that they don't ask God to keep them safe. They pray, verse 29, Lord, consider their threats. In other words, bear in mind what the Sanhedrin has said. But they stop short of saying, God, keep us safe, please. Why? Not because it's wrong to ask for safety. It's really not. It's just that for these believers, safety just wasn't really their priority. Their priority was the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. And so instead of safety, they pray for boldness. Consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In other words, they pray, give us courage so that we might continue to speak of Jesus no matter what happens. Lex was reminding me on Friday about Archbishop Ben Kwashi, um, who was speaking at New Horizon in, in the summer. I wasn't there, but he was. And he was telling us about how um, he's serving in Nigeria um, in parts where there have been really, really significant persecution against believers. And yet this is what he has concluded and what he said in the summer. He said, I've stopped praying for the Lord to stop the killings. I simply now turn to the Lord and say, Lord, revive us. It's not at all wrong to pray for safety. It really isn't. But to pray for inner revival, to pray for courage to keep speaking of Jesus, that is what we need if we're going to be effective for the Lord Jesus with our lives. So they, they pray for courage. Note as well there, they pray for more miracles. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal, to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, Lord, keep doing what you've been doing, what you did this past week with the, with the lame man, healing him and giving us a platform for the gospel. Do that again, please. Keep publicly confirming your apostles as your spokespeople. Keep endorsing them public, publicly so that everyone knows that their message is from you. So here we have a prayer. It's a, it's a prayer for courage, and it's a prayer for open doors to speak the gospel. And wonderfully, the Lord hears and answers their prayer. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly, exactly as they had asked.
So as we close, I don't know what courage looks like, gospel courage looks like for you. Uh, Sharing an invitation, a a Christmas invitation with someone perhaps, being more intentional with a neighbor about uh, your identity as a believer and what what you believe. Maybe sharing something online, maybe just being more open uh, with a colleague during your coffee break at work and sh- sharing about what you believe. And I don't know what it would look like for you to be courageous. But will you pray for courage? When we look inside for courage, when we try and muster up courage from within, that's when we tend to fall flat, isn't it? You just think of Peter on the night of Jesus' crucifixion. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He looked inside for courage, and of course what happened just a few hours later, he had denied Jesus three times. But when we have the humility to acknowledge that we're not actually naturally brave, and that if truth be told, we're actually a bit scared of people, or even a lot scared of people. When we acknowledge before God our natural timidity and ask him to give us courage, that is when God hears and answers our prayer, filling us afresh with his Holy Spirit and giving us power to keep on speaking about Jesus no matter what happens. As we close, why don't we just spend a minute or so doing what these believers did, filling our, thought, filling our minds with thoughts of the sovereign Lord and asking him for courage to speak, of, to speak about Jesus no matter what happens. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. When the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against you and against your anointed one, you laugh. All that happens is according to your power and according to what your will decided beforehand should happen. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you are the sovereign Lord of all. You are the one who rules from heaven. You are enthroned. You are powerful. You are majestic. It is what you say that happens. Nothing or no one is, yet, is even close to you in majesty and power and supremacy. Lord God, we pray, please fill our hearts, fill our minds with right thoughts of you. Help us in our hearts to bow before you, to submit ourselves entirely to you, to recognize that you rule. And we pray, please, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge before you our our natural timidity. 
We acknowledge that we are not naturally brave. But we ask you, sovereign Lord, give us courage to speak about Jesus where you have put us, no matter what happens. And we pray this for the good of those around us, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.